This is Grace Grit and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace Grit and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. Do you own a car? Do you have a bank account? Do you have credit cards? Well, if you were a woman living in 1972, you couldn't get any of that stuff. In fact, if you wanted to open a bank account, you had to have a cosigner, either your dad or your husband. So it wasn't until 1974 when women just received the basic necessities for financial autonomy. You know what else you couldn't do if you were a woman in 1972? Well, besides not being able to get a bank loan, own a home, or a car, you couldn't get enrolled into an Ivy League school. You could not take legal action if you were sexually, successfully harassed in the workspace. And if you got pregnant or you got married, you could lose your job. So have things improved? Well, yeah but there is so much work left to be done to reach equity and equality when it comes to gender bias. Today, my guest is Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Can I fangirl out just a little bit? She's a writer, a speaker, a scholar, an educator, a gender equity expert, and she's the host of Advancing Women podcast.com. I am so excited she's here because she is able to bring us indisputable data and the metrics to back it up to show there is a great disparity when it comes to the divide between the genders in terms of finances, leadership, so many things. So Dr. Simone, welcome, 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 welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Now, I know you have a background in corporate as I did. I also I had a background in corporate. So can you just speak specifically to how you observe gender bias in the corporate arena? Uh, First, thank you for having me. I am a big fan of your work and I'm so delighted. I've really been looking forward to this conversation since you invited me. So I'm so happy to be here. And I think one of the most important things that we need to really consider is just how gender bias has changed a little bit. It's a little bit sneakier. It's a little bit less overt. I call it second generation gender bias. And it's not the same type of bias necessarily that we saw and that we see in the Mad Men type of movies, but it is just as insidious and dangerous and detrimental in so many ways. And in some ways more so because it allows sometimes uh, inequitable structures and organizations and even leaders to a little bit kind of punch his pilot their way out of any culpability and say, look, things have gotten so much better. And I love that you said, yes, we can argue that things have gotten so much better because I always say better isn't the goal. 51% of the population does not want better. We want fair. We want equitable. It's not better. That's not, that's not something that we need to be striving for. And I think that anyone who observes the data, And anyone who looks at the real outcomes 
could not argue that it is fair and equitable or equal. You've got women graduating from Ivy League schools at higher rates than men. If you look at CEO positions that are 93, 94% male, and you say, well, you know, do they have qualified women candidates? Most people who graduate from uh, college are in the field of business when they end up being a CEO, not always, but often. The top two schools are Harvard and Stanford. Well, guess what percentage of their MBA graduates are women? At least 50%. And those numbers, this has been going on for years. We're really running out of excuses for reasons why women aren't achieving the highest levels. They're just not holding water anymore. When we start Mm -hmm. to look at data on the advances women are making, um, society, the home, women's responsibilities in the home and in the workplace have just not caught up to the right. hard work that women have put in to get to the place where we are ready and prepared and qualified eminently for a very, very uh, important seat at the table, a very influential seat at the table. And, you know, the data really support it. And then you look at the outcomes and they're just not there. So it's everywhere. It, it, there really is not a statistic to point to. It is all of the statistics that point to women, uh, kind of getting there halfway, right? We've gotten to the middle very well and represent about half of mid-level managers. But when you get to the level of power, pay, Mm -hmm. prestige, this is where we've got the big broken pipeline, the the glass cliff, the drop off, where you start to see a, a big difference. Right, exactly. So I know that you had a corporate background and we had talked earlier about women saying, throwing their hands up and saying, I'm done. What are some of the things that are causing women to say, I'm done. I'm not going to play in this role anymore. I'm not going to play in this arena. It's a great question. And it's a debate in the literature and half uh, one side of the story is pushed out and one side is pulled out. So Mm. we hear a lot of the pull of motherhood and women don't want power and, you know, they just don't want it enough and they're not willing to do the things and they're not as good as negotiating and the the deficit storyline. And that is very loved by the media. Those stories make great headlines, but they just don't hold up to the research, which really shows more of a push out of the workplace that actually women are just fed up, as you said, with things like the good old boys club, lack of high profile opportunities, being asked to do um, a lot of the kind of workforce and workplace housekeeping. And then Mm -hmm. when we back as we're instructed to, it's the double bind, damned if you do, doomed if you don't, because when you push against the system and say, no, I'm not going to do those things that I know aren't making a difference, then maybe you're not liked, or maybe you're seen as not a team player. And so we've got all of this gender bias going on. And we're really trying to instruct women to kind of workshop and professional develop and mentor and sponsor their way out of what is actually gender bias and inequity. And it's really very important to see that. Yeah, there is definitely a double standard and an expectation about how a woman leader or a woman in the workplace should act and how what a man can get away with. And I know just a very simple example in negotiating. So many women are told, well, you know, you have to ask. But then there's a suggestion, well, be more like a guy, go and be assertive and ask. And if a woman does that, she shoots herself in the foot. So we're talking the tightrope bias. I think this is a term that you've spoken about a lot, and it's finding that balance. You and I had also talked about a super interesting study that uh, it's the Heidi Howard 
study. Yes. And I know it's been used in a bunch of different colleges. I first heard about it being used in a state school in New York, but I think it came either out of Harvard or Stanford. Talk about that. Just explain it and then dive into what this means for us. In essence, a uh, researcher professor found that if he put Heidi on a case study with exactly the same information as Howard, the feedback he got from students and others were that they were both highly competent. But when it was Heidi, she was not likable. Howard was likable and competent. Heidi was competent, but self-serving and a little bit arrogant and uh, rough around the elbows and not just not likable. And you want to say to yourself, well, what did Howard have? that Heidi did not. And the reality is nothing. They were exactly the same with the exception of the name change. And there's other examples, but that is kind of a seminal one in terms of how yeah. we, we had started to know that this was something that was very real and very pervasive in the way women are evaluated. Right. And I know there's been studies with very young children where they're shown pictures of a woman in a lab coat and a man in a lab coat. And all of the kids have said, well, he's the doctor and she's the researcher. So we are talking about a very endemic gender bias that starts at a very early age. And, you know, part of that is women are mothers, men are fathers, women are the primary caregivers. And there seems to be a penalty for that when you get into the roles of leadership, because people are either considering, oh, my mother, I had a bad relationship with her. I can't see that woman as a leader. And we have seen this in politicians, right? We know this. But besides the conscious gender bias, how do you even start that conversation about unconscious gender bias? Because when someone is privileged, they have no conception of what discrimination is. How do you start that conversation? Yeah, there's a book called Justice by Sandal. And one of the things he talks about is that we learn in we learn justice through the experience of injustice, right? And so your point mm -hmm. is well taken that it's very hard when you're part of the dominant power structure to see the um, underrepresented uh, person's perspective or to understand their experience. So that is really so insightful, so insightful. Yeah, I really like what you said about how we learn to a degree. Um, that's really gender socialization. And it happens, Lisa, from the womb. There is actually research that shows that if a woman knows she's having a little girl or a little boy and she tells others that the way that people speak to the child in her womb is different. So they're really, when you have this conversation about nature versus nurture, it's really hard to know where that happens because we are consistently telling women, like you said, with the lab coat, it's really not our fault that we think of a man when we think of a lab coat, because we've been told over and over again that men's value is in, in their work and women's value is their work in the home. And so when you hear that over and over and you become conditioned to that, then you start to have expectations and there can be backlash when you fail to meet these unconscious expectations that people have. So they don't even realize it. But if you expect a person to be, do you ever take a sip out of a can and you thought you were drinking lemonade, but it's actually iced tea and it, you love iced tea also, but because you thought you were getting lemonade, you're kind of put off by it. You're like, oh, Oh, wait, I thought I was drinking lemonade. I'm drinking iced tea. It's oversimplification, but it does happen. It's like you're meant to be nurturing. You're meant to mm -hmm. be helpful and to kind of be uh, 
create the social lubricant that keeps everything smooth and makes everybody feel comfortable. And, mm -hmm. and when you do things that make me uncomfortable, that goes against my expectations for you as a woman. And so right. this is the disconnect. Right. We have to be very careful as women when we hear the best practice advice that so often comes, which is really be more like men, behave more like men, because that for some reason has been identified as the blueprint right. for leadership, despite research that shows that there are a lot of um, what would be considered communal or stereotypically female qualities that are more preferred in terms of leadership, in terms right. of relationships, as opposed to those agentic stereotypically male traits that are often associated with things like narcissism and uh, risk unnecessary risk-taking and things like that. But that's right. another conversation. We still have this blueprint of we've got to fix the women. If women could right. just fix the deficit, they would get ahead. And we have to interrupt that immediately. The first right. thing that happened and the whole purpose of the Advancing Women podcast is to say, we're going to interrupt a century of conversation about women as deficit. And we're going to start talking about the real problems that exist for women in the workplace in their full complexity, because the oversimplification of, oh, you're just not negotiating enough, or you just, you're not aggressive right. or enough. You don't speak are, up. Yeah. Those oversimplifications are applying a personal deficit explanation to structural and organizational inequities that are far reaching and, and, enormous. And so we have to at least acknowledge, I mean, you can't clean your house if you don't see the dirt. So we've got to at least see the dirt and we've got to start saying, no, 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 I see the dirt here. And so you would right, ask, exactly. how do we, how do we interrupt this? And I think part of it is acknowledging what's really happening. So mm -hmm. you're hearing an explanation for why you're not progressing or getting whatever it is that was promised you. You were asked to do mm -hmm. all the things. You feel like you've done all the things and then some, and you're waiting and you're still not seeing the fruits of that manifest in the expected outcome that you were somewhat promised, do all the things. Right. And you're sitting there kind of scratching your head saying, I don't understand what's going on. And if you listen to the narrative that says, well, it must be some kind of deficit on your part, then you're left gaslighted. Then you're left being right. told there must be something inherently wrong with me, or there must be something inherently less than in women. And there just is no evidence of that, right? This is about right. a narrative that doesn't serve us created by a world that a workforce that was not designed by us. Yes. Right. So we've right. got to interrupt that. And we, um, I have a four piece in advance. I have the four piece advancement model. And what is important about that is the first step that I use when I coach women is, is the problem what you're hearing? So right. I'm going to give you an exact example. If somebody comes to you in a conversation and says, you're being defensive. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry, which is the immediate response that typically women have. Because we've got the saboteur, the baggage of a lifetime of gender socialization of you've got to not be emotional. You have to, and all of the things we've been hearing, you know, all our mm -hmm. lives, it all comes flooding in. So the first thing that happens is it all comes flooding in and the need to apologize and the need to back off and change the conversation to adapt to the prescribed narrative that has been positioned to you becomes overwhelming. And so right. we have to interrupt that. We have to stop and say, my favorite three words, is it 
true. True. I love that. The awareness in that, you know, you said something that was so true. You're be, you're told either, oh, you're defensive or you're too sensitive or um, you're being too serious or why don't you smile? How do you determine you are being gaslit? That is not really feedback. That's positive. What are the questions any woman can ask herself? Right. So the first and most important question is, is it true? Because you want to take just that minute to be self-aware and say, am I actually being defensive? Or am I, if they say, oh, you're being, you're, you're getting angry. Am I being angry? Okay. So the first question is, is it true? Now this becomes like almost one of those decision trees. If it's not true, then you have the right to interrupt the narrative and, and respond. You're being defensive. I'm not being defensive. Defensive is you bringing your position and me shutting it down and just stomping all over your opinion. What I am doing is hearing what you're saying and responding what, what, with what I believe is an important point. So I'm defending my point. I'm not being defensive. I'm not, in other words, going to allow you to create the narrative, particularly if the narrative doesn't serve me. But if it is true, you also might want to apologize. And I would say, wait a second, there's still one more question. If it is true, then the question is, is it warranted? Often we are tone policed into believing that the person on the other side that's creating the narrative gets to decide the tone and the level of passion and, and, and how intense the conversation gets. And you are there to receive this information and play along. And sometimes people will say, you're emotional about this. And I'll think, am I? And I go, you know, I am emotional. You're right. I've spent the better part of six months working my tail off on that project. I'm incredibly invested in it. I've worked incredibly hard to get it done. And I'm really proud of where I've brought this project and what you're saying might derail that. And you bet I'm bothered and upset by that because this is good for our organization. And I can't just sit by dispassionately and watch anything erode this because it's very important to this organization. So you switch the conversation to say, you don't get to decide if my level of emotion is warranted or not. Like who made you decide what I'm feeling, what tone I need to have. Right. right. I have some say in that. We've just been conditioned to be agreeable. And I'm not saying we have to be combative. It's more a function of taking a pause right. to interrupt the, the saboteur that comes in and gives you all of the negatives that have not served us historically. All the bad advice, quite honestly, Lisa, that has left us after decades of diversity, equity, inclusion, and advancing women initiatives still not advancing to those highest levels, in part because we're trying to fix the wrong problem. We're trying to fix women. Right. Women aren't broken, need to fix the problem, and we can help when we interrupt the narratives that just don't serve us. Right. And you talk about reframing and I, I, that's exactly right. Um, so I want to ask you about popular culture and the role of the inner critic and imposter syndrome. Man, that was just a brain dump. But we know we see women who are seen in the media as caretakers. They're not presented as leaders or if they are, they're of a certain age, which I am, too. So it's either you're, you know, the ingenue or the crone. Right. And it's so, uh, and I, I just got to bring this up and I can't remember what her name is. She's the premier of Finland, I believe. She's a young woman in her thirties and she was the recently party, the party video. 
Yeah, she was yeah. chastised for going out and living. Now, we know that we're in a culture where we've got that boys will be boys mentality, but women are held to a higher standard. So when you're in the workspace or actually in any arena, any public arena, and you see yourself being held to a higher standard, I love the, is this true? And if it's true, is it warranted that it's a problem? And do I need to fix it? So the formula is brilliant. But when there's that barrage from the media, what do you tell young girls? How do you... Oh, so in, some ways, in some ways, if we look to the silver lining of this, Thank if you. you look at her, you say, well, young women who have been fed a steadfast, steady diet of things are better for women, you will have every opportunity. It is a level playing field. Every once in a while, that gets interrupted with, you know, a kind of, and I'm going to age myself here, but take the needle off the record. Whoa, this is not actually true. It is not actually the same after decades of terrible behavior, not by all men, but in many instances mm -hmm. of strip mm -hmm. going bars and deals made in these kind of shady environments, all of a sudden now a woman in her home who's leading, having fun with friends, is having you know to explain herself and, and be drug tested and all of these things um, because we're going to talk about the fit of the woman because, Lisa... It's about prove it again. Women constantly have to prove it again. So men don't have right. to necessarily, when you're the default, you don't have to constantly prove that you are suitable for top leadership. You, you can only be proven not to be. For women, right. not only do you have to prove it, but you have to prove it again. And for women of color, you have to prove it again and twice. again, twice, again, and again. Right. You know, if, right. men can, if men can make this many mistakes, women can make very few mistakes and women of color can make no mistakes. And right. So this is type of environment we're in. So yes, um, the social pieces is bad and good in that it does in some ways illuminate some of the very real work that still needs to be done and some of the very real inequity that is in fact still very much a part, very woven still into the culture of the workforce, despite the, um, the toxically positive messaging of everything is equal and level because that doesn't serve you. That is, I always say it is gender bias wolf in empowerment sheep's clothing. <laughs> you tell them, you're empowered. You can have it all. You have just as much of a chance and you, and you're saying rah, rah, that's great, but it isn't actually true. And so right. then the problem with that is, well, then whose fault is it? Where does your mind go? You mentioned imposter syndrome. If the world tells you you have every chance and every right. opportunity, maybe more, and you do all the things and you still don't advance, you're left saying, it must be me. Exactly. That is terrible. That is the equivalent of go pick out your switch so I can beat you with it. It's not right. enough for you to not level my playing field, but now you're going to push onto me the blame and the flaw. And a big part of the Advancing Women podcast, when I say it's not your fault, but it is your problem, is the acknowledgement that it isn't your fault. Yes, there are inequities and barriers and biases that are unfair that do not allow for a level playing field that make you have to do so many things that you should not have to do to advance, but you still have to do it, right? Because we want to advance. Right. We want to get, we have to play this game, even though it's not right. a fair game, but really we right. have to change the game, Lisa. We have yeah. to change. The we need to know the rules and get into positions of authority so we can actually be the change that makes the difference that's so needed. Oh my goodness. And now I'm going to throw out a real curveball. 
because it's hard as women for us to acknowledge that there are other women who may not support us, who may have that scarcity mindset. As Madeleine Albright said, there is a special place in hell for women who do not support other women. So Dr. DeSimone, let's talk about Queen Bee Syndrome. I always like the opportunity to talk about this because I think it is one of the most unfortunate consequences of the gender bias. So if you look at the work of Williams and Dempsey and their research is so robust, I cannot recommend it enough, especially the book, What Works for Women at Work, which is an excellent everyday book that outlines the research in a really interesting way that I think all women will find access, uh, accessible. But she talks about the tug of war bias and tug of war is how women have conflict with other women on the right way to be a woman trying to advance. And so the takeaway is this, and it's critical. It is conflict among women, or conflict among women is a result of bias against women. Women yeah. are by nature supportive of other women. That is not the problem. Bias against women fosters conflict amongst women. And the lobsters in the pot analogy is the perfect way to look at it. If you've got three lobsters in a pot, or two lobsters in a pot, and the only way out of the pot is to crawl on the back of the other lobster, they'll crawl on the back of the other lobster to get out of the boiling pot. But if they can all crawl out of the pot, they're just as happy to just crawl out of the pot. So the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that organizations and institutions have created this problem. It is not right. inherent in women. Women are inherently yeah. healthy. If you look at the hashtags, uh, about women that have been the most popular over the last two to three mm -hmm. years on Instagram and so forth, mm -hmm. you will see the hashtag women supporting women, hashtag oh, yeah. women advancing other women. That is what most women do. What we are mm -hmm. talking about here is a fringe effect that comes from tokenism, where only yes. one person can be at the top. So now right. it's women. So, of course, you know, men, by the way, do this, too. If there's only room for one man, other men will do that. We just don't have a name for it when men do it. Mm -hmm. We only find a name for it when women do it. And I always say whenever there's a term that is only about women, don't use it. It's gender <laughs> and it doesn't serve you. And this is the female version of the queen bee. Don't use it. Because guess what? Many men, in fact, are... Um, revered for being like this. If you look at movies like The Wolf of Wall Street, where it's like, oh, yeah. look at me stepping over people to get to the top. And then it's like, yay, you, you know, that is really a powerful. So that is revered and seen as this great thing. But flesh to women, and again, this goes back to that gender socialization, you're right. meant to be nice and nurturing. How dare you prioritize your own career over that of another? And so exactly. that's the problem. And um, also people want to be aligned with the winners. When women are looking and saying, wow, when I look around, it seems like if I jump on the, yeah, I'm going to be one of the guys bandwagon, right. Right. more successful. I want to align with the winners. So by seeing myself as different than other women, then maybe I don't have to acknowledge the real unfairness because I'd rather see the right. world as fair. So if I acknowledge right. that there's this inequity, then I have to acknowledge that I might not have just as fair of a chance and I don't want to. So I'd rather say, oh, I'm different than those women. Other women are. But I will always right. say this, and this is the analogy. If you ever look at airlines, if an airline has a crash, it, you don't see other airlines saying, fly with us, we don't crash. 
And the reason they don't do that is because they don't want to remind you of the crash because even if their airline isn't the one that crashes, they recognize that when airlines crash, it's bad for all airlines. Right. But we are the planes in this scenario. When women crash, it's bad for all women. So we cannot buy into this. We cannot allow it. And I would suggest we eliminate the word. And if you have a boss that you think is a queen bee, I have a couple suggestions. And it's going to sound a little bit familiar. There's a question I ask. Is it true? Is Uh this really a queen bee or is this a tough boss? Right. First, ask yourself, is this behavior different than my male bosses or am I receiving it differently? There have been so many studies. I'm thinking of one where they interviewed 500 legal secretaries of men, women, attorneys. And the attorneys who were men, the women by far preferred working for them. We don't like working for women. And they would talk about the women and say, they talk down to me. They're yelling out orders and so forth. They're just mean queen bees. But then they would talk about the men and they'd be like, well, do the men. Oh yeah. They yell out or whatever. Do that too. That's just, you know, how lawyers are. Right. So there, a lot of the time we have to take a beat and pause and say, is that true? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. It, it, it isn't. And first of all, you know, oh, women are so difficult to work for. Women aren't good leaders. We don't have good sample sizes. When 95% of the CEOs are women, let's, we can then start to look and say, well, you know, this one's terrible. This one's good. But with such a small sample size, because you've had 15 bosses, chances are if you've had 15 bosses, you've had, and they've all been men, half of them were good. Half of them were bad. You had one or right. two bosses and, and they were women and one of them wasn't that good. And all of a sudden that represents the entirety of the gender. That's not really scientifically sound, right? So (laughs) if it is true, it doesn't serve you to go into it that way. So a better way to look at it is to say, okay, I now have empathy for why Mm -hmm. this woman feels what she's feeling. I am sure deep down she would like to support women. And by the way, the research shows the more women at uh, top level of organizations, the more women get promoted, the higher women are. So the research actually does not support a high level of Queen Bee. It is extremely fringe. But in the media, it is, and in Hollywood, it is so glamorized that we start to believe this is true. So we have to sit there and say, is it true? And even if it is, I'm still not going to use that language because that plane crashing doesn't serve me. And come at this person with a place of empathy and strategy. Okay, I know that I've got this weird dynamic here. I have to be really strategic about the way I interact with this person, knowing as a woman what I know, being as a woman, an incredibly emotionally intelligent person who is superiorly and eminently able to adapt and pivot because we've had to, we've been trained to, we've been forced because we must. If you're not, you know, constantly told you have to be better than maybe you aren't. Luckily for us, we have. And so now we're badasses who are able to make that. So it's really, this is a mindset shift, right? Right. That, that awareness is so right on. We're talking emotional intelligence here and women are naturally gifted with this component. This has been brilliant, Kimberly. I so appreciate your input. I want to ask you specifically, because here we get into the practicality. Talk Mm -hmm. to your four P's for advancement. This is brilliant. Thank you. Um, So here's the thing, right? We look at all of the best practice advice women get. 
and we've been here, you've had decades of it and it isn't working. You know how I know it's not working? Because there's still a broken pipeline in every field, in every arena and in every domain. So at some point, you know, I say that the Advancing Women podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism. And the empathy piece is, you know, it really isn't your fault. You've been fed a little bit of a line about you as deficit and how if you could just be perfect, um, a standard that we don't hold men to, but we do for women. If you could just be perfect, then of course you would advance and everything would go well. And I thought, okay, that's not working for women. And I feel badly about that, but that's not good enough. So what do we have to do here? We have to come up with an, a model that actually does work better for women. And it almost came organically. And then I just named it, but I had been using it in coaching. I had been using it in mentoring. I had been using it in my own life and found that it was incredibly helpful compared to the advice I was getting. And the four P's are problem, pattern, process, and proficiency. And I've talked a lot about problem already. You've got to identify the actual problem because we spend a lot of time hearing problems that aren't indeed the problem. Or you hear that the problem is that you have vocal fry or that, and you go, well, is that really the problem? Is that really why I'm not getting ahead because I do this with my voice? That seems unlikely. What the problem seems to really be here is gender bias. So now let me attack the real problem because what we've got women doing is spinning around a hamster wheel, attacking the problems that are proposed. And it's almost like a shell game of find the queen with problems. As soon as we follow one problem and, and spend time, energy, and professional development, money in a lot of cases, and we fix that problem, they've moved the queen to another problem. And this keeps happening because really the real problem problem is often some level of unconscious bias or inequity that's getting in the way. So the first thing we have to do is take that pause and, and say, what is really going on here? You've told me in my, inter, in my evaluation that the problem is that I'm not doing X, Y, or Z. Is it true? Is that actually true or is something else going on here? You may say it doesn't matter. It's just semantics, but it does matter because you want to attack the actual problem. Okay. And sometimes that's just a matter of saying things a little bit differently. I worked with a woman once who was in an organization that were constantly touting how creative she was and what a good presenter she was, you know, and they were so happy. They were like, oh, we're always telling her how great she is. But the problem is those weren't really the things that they cared Uh about that. Those that were nice. Got rewarded. Yeah. Nice those to have, but not rewarded. Like, those were nice to have, but what they wanted was this kind of old fashioned, antiquated, tough as nails, you know, and so they'd be like, you, you know, and they would use um, her to get that out of her, but then they would reward the toughness, right? And it would be like, right. well, you can't get ahead because you're not tough enough and you're not assertive enough, but can you help Bob with his presentation so that he looks awesome? And can you bring some of that creativity to Jim's project? And so she was able, we together worked and said, is the problem really that you're not assertive or is this a perception problem that they have that you need to work on? And so now that you know that, let's think about all of the things in this organization that are going on and come up with a strategy to fix the real problem. And part of it was just this perception that she wasn't tough. So whenever someone would say to her, hey, can you help me with my presentation? Can you help Jim with this presentation? She'd say, you know, I'm happy to help Jim, but you know, I'm tough. So does he have broad shoulders to hear what I have to say? Because you know, I'm tough. And so she would do this. And after two or three weeks, everyone was like, well, don't ask Lisa unless you got your ducks in a row because she's tough. And so she (laughs) used this skill that this bias against her and this kind of um, way that she was being manipulated. And she said, no, I'm going to flip that and I'm going to use it on my behalf. She shouldn't have to. However, 
because she was able, we, we together were able to say, what is actually the problem? And instead of hearing, you're not tough enough, go be tough. So that then she would be tougher and negotiate harder only to be disliked, you know, and the whole antiquated tightness. No, 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 we're not going to address that problem. We're going to address the actual problem. So pause. Is it true? What's the real problem? Second, patterns, patterns of bias. What are the patterns of bias that are happening on a constant basis that are causing you to not get where you want to go? So for example, every time I go into a meeting, I'm interrupted, mansplained, the um, floor is taken from me. Um, What are the patterns of things that I am noticing are getting in the way? And how can I be better prepared when those patterns emerge? When I see them, again, I said, you can't clean your house if you don't see the dirt. Observing the patterns gives you the cues you need to be prepared in a better way to have the words. And I know, you know, Lisa, we have talked about this, and this is one of the areas I think you are excellent at is saying, are you prepared with your one-liners? Are you in your coaching? Are you prepared? I think you're so excellent to coach women the way you do and you're spot on. Do you understand what is coming at you? Forewarned is forearmed. That's something you say all the time. Yeah. And it's Well, patterns is about recognizing certain patterns so that you can interrupt the pattern. The pattern is it keeps happening, it keeps happening. And the problem with patterns is they have a habit of becoming habit. And so we've got to interrupt the pattern. Next, we have the process. How do we interrupt the pattern? Mm -hmm. And process is what I call the TKD process, what you think, what you know, what you do. Every problem in the world is either what you think, what you know, or what you do. So if someone comes at you and says, you're not advancing because you have a skill deficit, okay? You think to yourself, is it true? Here's the good news. If it's true, that's awesome. What you what you know is easy to fix. You can fix it. Or is this about what you think? You're believing or buying into a storyline that doesn't work. Or is this about you know, the tool set, right? How, what you do, are you behaving in the ways that you need to? Those are all the kinds of things we need to think uh, about with, with process. Love that, love that awareness. Love that awareness. And then the fourth P? Proficiency, building those proficiencies so that we can indeed advance despite the bias. Kimberly, how can people find you? So the best way is to listen to my podcast, Advancing Women Podcast, which is available everywhere, Spotify, Google, um, iTunes, Apple, because I give 30-minute tidbits, dozens and dozens of them on more specifics and more details on how to find these things. And you can also go to advancingwomenpodcast.com. Awesome. Kimberly, fantastic. You've got to come back to Grace Grit and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. I had the honor of interviewing Dr. Kimberly Simone today. You can find her at advancingwomenpodcast.com. If you want more information on the four P's of advancement, she has an episode on each. So find Dr. Kimberly Simone at advancingwomenpodcast.com everywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.